Hello, friends. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Improv and Magic. I'm your buddy, as always, L.D. Madera. This is a very exciting week because this week is the 2024 Miami Improv Festival, which is held every year at my home theater, Just the Funny. For those of you who have never experienced it before, it's a four-day festival featuring some of the greatest improv performers and shows from all over. Some of the special guests we have every year include Joe Bill, Mark Sutton, Stacey Halal, Tara DeFrancisco and Rance Rizzuto, and Susan Messing, among others, some of whom have also been guests here on the Improv and Magic podcast, by the way. So, to celebrate this year's Miami Improv Festival, my guest today is the guy who makes it happen every single year and has been since its inception in 2003. He's my dearest friend, David Christopher. David is a returning guest here on the podcast. You may remember he was on the very first episode of Improv and Magic. We had such a great time last time, but unfortunately there wasn't enough time to get into everything. So today, we pick up right where we left off and continue our conversation where we talk a lot about the Miami Improv Festival, as well as his role as a manager at Just the Funny and his business, Interactive Training Solutions. This man never ceases to amaze me, and I hope you all enjoy part two of our conversation today. So now, here once again is my friend, David Christopher. My friends, I'm excited to have my first return guest on the podcast. He is my brother from another mother. He is Mr. David Christopher. Hey, David. Good to have you back. Hey, LD. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> you are the first person to come back here to the podcast. And as, it, as I just told you a few moments ago, your episode, which was the first episode of the podcast, is currently, as we are recording, now the number one most played episode. The fact that I've replayed it so many times has paid off. <laughs> I feel like my work is done. Because <laughs> nothing sounds better than the sound of your own voice. <laughs> Actually, I can't stand it, and <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I have not listened to it. Um, I, I think I listened to like little parts of it, and then, and then I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Um, it, it was anymore. a great episode, though. Yeah, no, it was great. It was fun. It was a great conversation. Um, that's like how I remember it. So mm -hmm. uh, it's again, I can't listen to the entirety of it because it's my voice. So, well, how do you think I feel? I got to listen to my voice in every single one of these. You chose to do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have myself to blame. But our episode is definitely going to sound better than the first time because the first time you were at my house, mm -hmm. which has mostly tile floor, so I'm echoing like crazy. And I now have my mic pointed the right direction. Yeah. Which is why I sent it so far away, because this microphone, it's it's an Audio Pro mic, and you actually have to turn it away from you. Oh. Yeah, it's weird, because if I, if, if I turn it towards me, as you can see, it sounds way different. Oh, yeah. That yeah. sounds horrible. Yeah. I don't know why. I didn't even know they made mics that way and I didn't even realize it till I finally decided to look at the instructions and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm supposed to use it this way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, 
you always learn something, right? Yeah, always, always. But you know, I, I will say this: if there's anybody that I've ever met in the South Florida improv scene that has any uh, justification to brag, in my opinion, it's definitely you. But I definitely have never once seen you brag about anything. I mean, you'll be proud to brag about the theater as as a theater and the community. But as far as the stuff that you've accomplished. You're definitely not one to say, I'm David Christopher. Look at all the cool stuff that I've done. I I don't think I really have. I, I mean, I'm proud of the theater. I'm proud of the collective work that everybody who's ever worked at the theater has contributed and what we've been able to accomplish as a team and as a group and as a community. I think that's wonderful. My part in it is a one part of many parts. I don't consider it um it's not my vanity project so and even if it were i probably still it's just not who i am um and i i look at the theaters like one of my kids uh you know you talk about one of my kids i'm coming after you but you talk about me i really don't care uh so it goes the same way if you praise the theater i'm like oh yeah and i can talk about that all day long all night too and it will be bragging about the accomplishments of the theater as a collective as a whole but anything about me no that's just not my gig i actually run away from that so yeah well it's one of the reasons why i've loved you for all these years because you know, you and I share this. One of the one personality trait that I definitely can't stand is like arrogant people. Mm. And you and I have been in this craft long enough to know that there are many people who are that. Um, but uh, how do you keep yourself like grounded? You seem to have a good ability to keep yourself like grounded, and you're very sure of who you are to the point where you feel like you don't have anything to prove to anybody. How do you keep yourself centered like that? I think it's one, I, I, I'm always in a mindset of learning. I love learning. I also know that I don't know everything and there's always something new to learn. So who am I to say, Oh yes, I'm this or I'm that. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to be that. I don't ever want to do that. I think once we start doing that, you shut yourself off to learning because you have to, you have to be something now that you, that, that really closes you off from any sort of vulnerability. Uh, and I, th I think we're all guilty of that at some point in our careers. Um, I know that I definitely earlier on started to go down that road and like, Oh, this is not the way I want to go. And this is not who I am. So I stopped, but yeah, uh, I think the other part too is just being mission driven. And for me, that means I get no greater joy than watching people be great on stage or be great in a class. And that joy is about how can I contribute to their greatness? And if that happens, you know, whether I'm on stage with them, whether I'm the one teaching them or whether I'm just sitting back in an audience and, cheering them on because I'm loving what they do. That's it. I, I, if that, if that means grounded, that's what keeps me grounded. Yeah. You definitely have no problem sharing the spotlight. I, I think, you know, we all, we all are great. It's just a matter of discovering our greatness and letting it out. Yeah. 
We are at the end of December as we're recording this, and right now you are definitely busy mm-hmm. because you're gearing up for the 2024 Miami Improv Festival. And this is a good place for us to start right now because this is also kind of where we left off last time Okay. in talking about the festival. And you talked about how when the festival was created, it was designed to be a festival that improvisers would really like to actually watch and, and be a part of. How have you, after all these years of the festival, been able to maintain that sense of what the festival is and represents? It's really interesting. Uh, So there's been two times that we've rebooted the festival. And whenever that has happened, you have to look back and say, all right, well, what did we do? Why did we do it? How did we do it? And then try to hopefully do that again. And if you're really lucky, raise the bar. Uh, so when we, the 2003 festival, it was a very, I think we talked about this in the last episode that we did. Well, the only episode that we did together, um, we did it as an all inclusive thinking that it could be like a sandals resort. If everybody paid up front, then, um, you know, we'd have all these workshops and all these great perks and everything. And, and it was a really good idea that in concept, but it wasn't really practical. It didn't work. Uh, in 2004, we figured it out. And that was to do the festival in a way that that allow you. It's, it's interesting. I was talking about this uh, just yesterday with one of our headliners. It's you want your headliners to it, you want to treat it like a mall and your headliners are the department stores that are going to get people to the mall. And while they're at the mall, they're going to discover all these other really cool stores that aren't big department stores, but one day they will grow and they may turn into the big box store. And I know everybody hates big box. I'm all about small business, but that's kind of the design of the festival is to leverage these wonderful headliners for learning and for enjoyment of watching what they do and their greatness and brilliance but also as a way to attract people to then come and watch other shows. So the way that we've designed the festival has been every single show is treated equally uh, in that they get a 45 minute slot. Um, If you're from out of state, out of the state of Florida, where we're located, uh, you get two slots. If you're within the state, you get one only because people have probably seen you already. So it's just, there's no reason to do two. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's been a really and then the, the workshops. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the one thing I'm really proud of, we've never raised our prices for workshops and um, our show quality has been pretty amazing. We've we've had a great run. I mean, we've had everybody here. Uh, Second City, Groundlings, UCB Torco. Uh, who else? Uh, Bass Prov, of course. I can't believe Bass Prov submitted in the first year and they did. That was just <laughs> mind blowing. Uh, we've had Susan messing. We've had the reunion of Georgia Pacific, uh, obviously three Pete. How great is that here with, um, the, the improvised musical with Tara and Rance, uh, so many great, great people, Stacy Halal and Ruby rocket, uh, more recent, uh, but so many great shows we've, we've broken out shows, uh, people have discovered shows at our festival, which is really cool. And then you see them go on to other festivals. You're like, yeah, you know, that's great. You know, you, you, you're building on this thing. And uh, I dare say your show, my friend, um, has had quite a, a, a great start. And I love that 
you've been able to showcase what you can do at our festival too, because you're pretty special. Well, thank you. I, I always owe a lot to you for that and letting me have that opportunity. And you know, it's funny. What I like about Miami Improv Festival is when you do the festival circuit enough, you do tend to see sort of the same format overall. And I know that there are a lot of festivals that like to do what I refer to as the uh, the block method, mm-hmm. which is you're in this block and you and five of the groups are in this 730 block and you get 20 minutes. And I'm not knocking it, but it does seem like an attempt to just cram as many acts in as possible with Miami Improv Festival it's just you get 45 minutes and this is your time and and there's no blocks which I actually like a lot more because that forces you to set the standard a lot higher as to who gets in and I remember in the 2020 festival before the world went nuts um, when I got in I was very excited because not only was that my first festival submission that I got in but I know that the standard is a lot higher. Is that the reason why you like having this format where each act gets 45 minutes every hour on the hour? We designed the festival specifically to be a festival that we would want to go to. So at that point in time, blocks weren't, um, there weren't enough festivals. There were literally like 10 to 12 festivals a year in 2003. It was almost like a circuit of festivals where you would see a lot of the same people just travel to the different city that had that festival the very next month. And that's where they went. Um, now there's a million festivals. So yeah, you do see a lot of blocks. Um, and I've performed in festivals where we've performed in blocks and there's some pluses and some minuses and I'll, I'll let me do that first and then I'll jump to us. The plus and the minuses, there's sort of that safety in numbers where, Usually in that block, if it's really done well, there's going to be a local draw that's uh, also mixed in with somebody who's coming in from out of town that maybe you've never heard of before. So now people get exposed to something new. And it really depends on how the festival producers and, and, and the people in charge of programming that for those festivals do that. If they do it well, that's usually what happens. So you have like a local draw and then maybe you'll have like two acts that, you know, you've never seen before that go with it. So you have a nice, healthy audience, but you also really have a robust experience for people. The con of the block is uh, first section of block one always gets their due time. But if the host goes long in the in the uh, introduction, if one of the groups goes long, then all of a sudden, if you're in the third or second section of the block, your time starts getting cut. And there's been festivals where that's happened Sometimes just by, you know, five minutes and sometimes your sets cut almost in half. And, you know, when you're traveling, you're making a big investment in the performance opportunity, the exposure and also the ability to to really perform your craft. And not only for the general public, but also for your peers. So the way that we look at our festival, segueing back to that is we really want it to be a showcase. The other part of it is you get a cut of the door. And it shouldn't be dependent on anybody else. So what's really cool is that groups who really are hungry come down here and promoted their own show. Sometimes, and this has happened even recently, sometimes they will get better billing than the festival overall in the press. And that's 
really cool to see. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not what you want as a festival producer, but there's also a tip of the cap moment to that because it's pretty cool when somebody's out hustled the festival as a whole. I'm like, all right, <laughs> you're working harder than we are. That's pretty, that's pretty damn cool. So yeah, I mean, 45 minutes, it's also, I mean, it's funny because sometimes we'll get people who are, you know, they're getting all their information into us to, to get everything ready to promote for their show for the festival. And they'll say, all right, how long is my slot? And I'll tell them 45 minutes. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's 45. And usually you would think they're like, yeah, some of them are actually like, whoa, and they get worried about it. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's cool. It's, it's fun to watch people, you know, take it and run with it. Do you try to top yourself with each festival every single year? Is there a way where you try to make the next festival better than the last year? Yes and no. Um, The first incarnation of the festival, so that was 2003 to 2007. Um, In 2008, we got our own theater, and we were just way too busy actually opening and running a theater to run a week-long festival like we had. Um, So we put a pause on it, and we did some weekend festivals. So that first incarnation of the festival in 2003 to 2007 that was definitely the mission and we did it every year though i would be more and more of a wreck (laughs) after each one of those to the point where I, i was missing either a lot of work or um just physically i was not in a good space or you you realize at some point you're not going to continue to be able to do that um in a way that's going to like you, you keep raising your own bar so high that uh, it, it becomes like, all right, where does this end? And it's going to have to end someplace and that's going to, you know, it's going to be tough. Um, so it was kind of cool. The, the pausing of it to go to that weekend format allowed the festival to go back to, I think, something a little bit healthier, which was how do we maintain a really solid quality that doesn't ever go down. So the bar never goes down. We figured it out, but how do we keep bringing in new headliners to keep the bar high, but also feed audiences and and improvisers with something new and fresh. So that's been really cool. And that's the fun challenge. And now I think in its third incarnation, because the festival took a break when, when I took a hiatus uh, from the theater. um, And when I came back, we rebooted it back in 2015 um, and I won't include the pandemic. That was just a pause. The, we were still running it the same before and after, but uh, this, this last incarnation has really been about uh, selfishly wanting to be around friends, um, wanting to uh, really s- expose students that are in our community improvisers that are in in our community to new shows, but also to uh, those really great improvisers, many of whom have been on your podcast that don't travel as much as they used to. So you can kind of use the relationship to say, Hey, you're, you're going to watch something you can't see in too many places anymore. And it's pretty damn cool. I remember when we first spoke, one question that I asked was, is there an act that you haven't had on the festival yet that you're really hoping to get? And your response was that you're always looking for what's new. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ties into what you were just saying. How do you go about trying to find what's new and what new acts are really getting a lot of attention? 
Yeah. Uh, wow, this is going to go into so many fun places. Um, <laughs> part of it is just keeping an open eye to things. And I will say pre-pandemic, I did a lot more of that. Post-pandemic, um, my social media presence has has gone to next to nothing um, with, with only promotion of the festival and maybe the occasional uh, theater thing, you know, you do the promotion for just the funny and I don't, uh, thankfully I don't need to get involved in that. The only thing I really do is uh, the festival piece. I try to keep an ear to the ground on what's going on. I look at other theaters, what they're putting up, uh, people that I respect and know in the industry and, you know, kind of leverage seeing what they're doing, who they're showcasing, what's going on out there. Um, a lot of times it's, you know, who submits, um, I'll I'll give you a fun one. Uh, there's a group called impromptu that will be coming back to this year's festival and, uh, was here last year with a different name. I'll keep their new name cool so I won't say their old names that way it's just plugging the new name but and they put on an incredible show and that's amazing that's the fun part of doing a festival you know that they're great before the audience knows that they're great and that's part of curating that so I think that's like for me that's the that's the most fun way to expose audiences and improvisers to new talent is through the submission process from a headliner perspective you know, with social media now, with the ability on YouTube and everywhere else to know of what's going on, nobody's really undiscovered in that way um, from a headliner level, if you will. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know Three Pete was probably one of those that was like, yeah, we got to get Three Pete here. I remember that distinctly. Um, yeah, post pandemic, it's been a little bit more also. I think I'm also at that stage in my improv career where I'm not. Um, I'm not out there as much as I used to be. So uh, for me, it's it, I also don't get exposed to as much. Uh, in 2018, 2019, I traveled a lot, went to a lot of theaters around the country, saw a lot of shows. And, you know, if if there was somebody that was really incredible, had a great set, I'd say, hey, you really should come to our festival and would, would do that. Um, there's a lot of fun stories like that, but... So what is your process of getting the festival off the ground? And I say your process because I know festival producers, you know, it's their own baby and they have their own process. So when do you start getting this gear into motion? Yeah, when we first started, it was probably eight to nine months out. Now it's probably, I want to say six, maybe six to five. We've got it pretty dialed in. Um, we did a lot in those early we did way too much probably in those early years but uh and we also had to pioneer a lot of it you know we didn't go to uh you know the uh you know running improv festival 101 class so there wasn't that we just had to figure it out on our own and you know we 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 have a template in terms of how we do it and um and it works so a lot of that starts off with just gearing up, getting the submission process. Uh, it helps to have your own theater because when the venue's already locked up and, you know, we have such an incredible management team here that is so open to it and loving it that it's, it's part of the deal. 
that makes life a lot easier when we used to have to negotiate contracts for venues for the festival. Not fun. And also that we've had horror stories of week of the festival. It's a Tuesday. Festival starts on a Wednesday and the venue's telling you we're going to pull it. Uh, and, you know, we're like, all right, we need to get lawyers involved then because we have a contract. And then all of a sudden everything, you know, manages to work. We don't have to do that. Uh, so like the it's, it's really about how do we how do we take care of our improvisers? Uh, our motto has always been, if you take care of your artists, then they will take care of you. Um, that's pulling from my TV production days. Uh, if you, a well-fed crew is a happy crew. If you take care of your crew, you're going to get really great results. And that also includes your cast. Um, so I will not <laughs> just say the crew, but you get where I'm going. Um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much the process. I mean, we start off with that and then it goes into the submission round then from submissions, um, you know, while all of that's going on, we're talking to headliners, getting them, you know, lined up, ready to go. There's always a wish list. Um, there's a lot of wish lists that, you know, will never get achieved. Sometimes they do. And when you do, it's like the dog that caught the car. You're like, uh oh, how are we going to fit all of this in? And how do we pay for all of this? And then you have to figure that out. Um, and then it's, you know, the workshops, figuring out what's going to work for your community, what's what's the desire also there's a lot of times where i will go to headliners and say you've taught your signature workshop here before i need you to do something you've never done before you've got to create a new workshop so that's one of my favorite things to do is from the education perspective i love to challenge all of our instructors who are teaching workshops at the festival to stretch beyond uh, so what does that look like before joe bill taught the scramble down here uh, back in, I think it was 2006 or 2000. Yeah, it was 2006. And part of that was to have a, um, a student showcase component as part of the programming schedule of the festival. You never saw that anywhere. And I love that we were doing stuff like that. And it was really cool to see people that literally were still taking classes at the theater or at somebody else's theater or a well-known improviser take a class and then get up there with their peers. Or in some cases, some cases it's literally somebody who's never done improv before and they're doing a show and people are showing up to watch that. That's really cool. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun piece. And I think we might actually have that this year as well. Ooh, interesting. And a very different one at that. Something that um, we haven't done here in a long time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, every time I watch you uh, running around at MIF, there <laughs> is sort of a sense of, you know, you really are flying by the seat of your pants on mm. this because, I mean, you are I mean, you have help, obviously, but I see you like jumping into everything. And, you know, I, I can only imagine how so many times you want to pull what's left of your hair out <laughs> as you go through nice. that. How do you, um, I have to give you one jab every now and then. Hey, male pattern baldness is a thing and I got it. <laughs> How do you manage to like keep yourself calm and cool? Cause like you mentioned, every festival, something happens and then, you know, it's, you can't always control it when it does, but you know, when it arrives, you deal with it. So how do you make sure you keep yourself calm and cool and also make sure that you don't lash out on anybody else? Uh, that's an interesting question. It's a fun one to go into, I guess. Um, one, I don't perform at the festival unless I have to. Uh, 
I'll get dragged into some shows every now and then, and that's fine. Uh, I don't mind that. I used to hate it, um, but now I just look at it as an opportunity to really just play with friends, and it's such a treat. And I have to, as a festival producer, I think a lot of us do not give ourselves the opportunity to, I think if we're doing it right, we don't really get to enjoy our own stuff, uh, what we create. And I don't mean as an artist, I mean as a producer. And I, I've, I've kind of relaxed myself a lot more in the last couple of years to be more open to playing. I've, I've said some bold no's like, I don't want to play. I don't want to play. It's okay. So one is I don't play by design. If there's something to jump into that somebody's asking me to do, I'll graciously say yes, which is hard for me to do, but I, I do it now. I won't take workshops. Um, I, I don't take workshops as much as I would love to take workshops. And it kills me every year because there's so many great ones and so many great instructors that I'm like, oh, I want to take that workshop. I do that for two reasons. One, there's always something going on. You'll I'll get the phone call, I'll get the text. And I've got to take it. So you don't need that person going in and out of the workshop. Uh, it's a distraction. It's not fair to the people who are there to, to, to take the workshop and have their phones off. I'm going to be the one that has the phone on because I have to. Mm-hmm. So I don't take workshops. The other part of that is that's actually where I recharge batteries. Um, and I learned that one a long time ago. The younger version of me could go and pull 18-hour days and sleep for you know, that fraction <laughs> of a, of a normal sleep and then do that for four and five days straight, sometimes six or seven when the venue wasn't our venue and we would literally have to dress and build sets and do all of that stuff for a venue. Um, which luckily we don't have to do as much of, uh, because it's our own venue, but with all of that involved, I don't take workshops. It allows me to, to do those things. Uh, what have we had here? We've had everything from uh, disrespectful, belligerent audience members who've needed to find where a front or back door was so they could leave to we've had uh, some medical emergencies. Uh, we've had technical everything uh, that's happened. Um, but for all of those little fun snafus and, you know, things that happen there's so many incredible moments that happen in the festival that you're just like I just watched that I just was witness to something that was great and I know that we recorded it but it will never live up to the live experience of what just happened and I mean I know between you and I we could probably rattle off like five things each and you know, we know what those things are. You've been to so many of these, you know, you've actually texted so many of them. You probably know the shows better than I do. So that is one of the great joys that I get to, that I get to have. Cause I'm always a part of it every single year. And I love that you put me in the tech booth, you know, in both the main stage and the spotlight and yeah, I'm, I'm working, but I'm also enjoying myself at, at the same time. It's just, it's wonderful. It actually is wonderful to see when Stacy pulls you into a Ruby rocket. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she's, like you said, she's playing with her friends because, you know, you also got Joe Bill and Mark Sutton and other uh, out-of-towners there, and that's that's always great to see. And, you know, when I'm teaching classes here, I tell students leading up, hey, this is an experience you don't want to miss. When you have seen our students come in and see what they see at the festival, what are some of the reactions that you've noticed from our students who see, who are probably seeing a, 
an improv festival for the very first time and they're seeing the best of the best. What are there some of the reactions that you've seen from the students that we've had that have seen it? It's usually just sheer awe of, wow, this is amazing. They'll, they'll walk out and they'll have that look of just sheer glee of just enjoying what they just watched it's almost like this euphoria they walk up to and it's transformational and they're like, thank you so much. This is amazing. And I'm like, don't thank me. Thank the artist. <laughs> they're the <laughs> ones who came here. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just giving them the space to do it. But, um, or we are, um, but I think to answer your question, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was students don't get it as much as the cast does. I think for the cast, they get really comfortable doing the thing that works. And what the festival shows them is no, this also works. Whatever this is, it's something different. There's a different approach to improv. There's a different format. There's a different um, emotional investment that these artists make that really requires you to up your game. And there's nothing better than seeing you know, satiated fed artists from your own theater want to raise their own bar when they get, when, when a jaded improviser gets transformed, or as you mentioned before, the arrogant improviser gets shown, Hey, guess what? No, (laughs) you're not, you're not all that. There's more to do here. There's more to learn. Be humble, keep growing, learn, you know, don't, think that you're this when there's so much more to learn here that's what i love uh the students you know they're going to be wowed and odd and as they should be as everybody should be and that's great but they're going to be wowed and odd by a lot of things because they're still learning and they're not as exposed to things it's the ones who think that they're already there when they walk out like that that's when you're like all right we did our job right we 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 are transforming people we're helping them grow and that's also going to expose our local audiences who come to the festival, but also that will trickle down into the shows that happen the week after and the month after and the year after that get artists who are a lot more uh, well-rounded and also push harder because that festival showed them something that that artist at the festival showed them something on the very last day of the festival. Mm -hmm. After the very last show and after the after party is done and after everyone's left, everything's cleaned up and the theater's locked up, what's going through your mind at that moment? Mm. Two things. <laughs> <laughs> I want to sleep forever. Um, yeah. And I think that's every festival producer. Uh, I want to sleep forever. It's every volunteer, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's why we do it on a holiday weekend. Uh, Which is so smart of you to do that. Yeah, we made one mistake one year and we did it on like Super Bowl weekend. I was like, what were we thinking? Um, but yeah, no, we've got it pretty much set now. It's I want to sleep and I also, it recharges my batteries for all the things that we have to do throughout the year to run a theater. It's like, okay look at this, look at how we've transformed students, cast members, audiences. We're, it's like I mentioned before, you get lost in the mission. And for me, you know, 
I was listening to coming in, I was listening to your uh, episode with McNapier and you know, he's talking about, Oh, I'm an old jaded, you know, improviser. I don't, I look at comedy differently and I get that. And I think we all get there when you've done this long enough, you're going to, you're going to go down that road. And I feel like the festival that last day, last night, you're like, I don't feel sad about the festival ending. I feel recharged. I feel like, okay, you've given us an artistic boost and also a a production boost. You make me want to do more and you make me want to create more. So I I think that's a good thing. I will also mention this because it's something I don't want to leave out about the festival. I know we're about to probably move on um, as we probably should, I guess. (laughs) We do something to close out the festival that, I am so incredibly proud of the very last show of the festival. Uh, We have two stages at our theater during the festival. We have shows going opposite each other, starting on the hour for 45 minutes in their own individual blocks. And it's always a hard decision as to which one you want to go to. And that means we're doing it right. So, but the very last show that we do is our volunteer jam and it does not have a show going up against it. So Everybody goes to watch that show. That show is usually a standing room only show. It's got the loudest applause. It is an opportunity to celebrate the people that make the festival happen. It's an opportunity to also be in a room filled with peers, uh, people you don't know, audience members who we're just there. It's a free show. So sometimes we get people who literally just show up for that show because they don't want to pay for anything else, which is fine. <laughs> it's great. It, we get to showcase those artists. And a lot of them have taken the workshops or they've watched the shows. And now here's where they get to apply it. And it's the biggest victory lap. And as a festival producer, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of because it's a, it's a gigantic thank you to the people that make um, make our community so great. Yeah, you know, you really do get that sense of community during that volunteer jam. Usually, when a festival does a jam, it's usually a combination of some of the performers and headliners. But with the volunteers, you know, these are the people that you've seen running around and making sure that everything's opened up, make sure that the bar is stocked, make sure the audience is seated. And I love that you've made the decision to have a show that puts them in the spotlight. And it gets emotional during that volunteer jam because it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like a big thank you to them for helping making this ship run. Yeah, yeah it, it is. And I love that you use the word emotional. I There's a an applause, a laughter. Uh, it just you can feel the energy in the room for that show. It can't describe it. Listen, there are so many great shows that come through that people are howling, crying, uh, cheering, whatever that is. That's great. There's something different about that volunteer jam that you just feel it's a gratitude, but it's also an appreciation for the people on stage and what they've done to make other people shine. And so it's let me take my shine and project it back on to the stage from the audience now. So it's kind of like, you know, we get a lot of headliners who will watch that show and just, I mean, they will just 
you can feel the energy coming from the audience to the stage and then it gets reflected back and it's just really amazing. And that doesn't happen for any other show. The other thing I'll, I'll say about that too is, and this is where I'm really proud. We've had people who like just joined the cast or maybe just started to take a, a class, um, you know, never been exposed to improv because usually our, our first classes start right after the week of the festival. So somebody's just literally signed up for it and they got the email saying, Hey, we've got this festival and they show up and they, they come and watch this. They're like, wow, that energy was amazing. But then you have the people in the cast and a lot of those people in the volunteer jam are like the newer cast members. So they don't really have a huge sample size of performing and they don't perform in the festival. Um, we only let the volunteers who haven't performed already in the festival do the volunteer jam. So it's their time to shine. And usually that means they're more junior cast members, but it's just watching them do their thing and be great and do it in front of like these people that they've been in awe of all week. And now here they are in front of them and they're just getting so much. Love. It's amazing. I could talk about that all day long. I remember there was one year where during the volunteer jam, Stacy Halal was watching and she actually said to me, oh, my God, I'm totally going to steal that because she, <laughs> because she loved it so much. <laughs> hey, if somebody wants to steal something from you, that, that means you're doing it right, I guess. Absolutely. So that's great. That's awesome, especially getting it from, from that high praise. So that's cool. Well, to kind of transition now a bit, you run the theater along with two people who are good friends of ours and have also been on the podcast, mm-hmm. Rick Menares and... Marlene Marcos and the three of you have really been working hard as a cohesive unit for quite some time and not you know not to go into it but the management has kind of had variations uh, along the way how has it been like to work with these two individuals into helping keeping this theater becoming what it can become um there's a huge sense of pride in where we've come from but I will tell you that working with Rick and Marlene has, has been really deeply, um, it's been really deeply, uh, important to me. And, and not only my, my, my career doing improv, but just on a human level. Um, I love those two. Uh, we don't always get along. We usually don't see things the same way. Uh, but I would not go into battle with anybody else. And uh, I love both of them like a brother and sister. And I have a brother. So um, <laughs> if I was an only child, that would be an easy thing to say. But, I mean, they they are the family that, that I choose. Um, it's really... We've been through a lot together. We kept a theater open through a pandemic. Um we've we've tried things that have worked great we've tried things that haven't worked at all uh we've had some really tough moments um it's funny we we've talked about it quite a bit and uh i always equate it to the fleetwood mac song the chain um there's a there's a chorus chain's a weird song but uh what makes me think of us with the chain is that there's a lyric that goes, the chain will keep us together. And that's the theater. So the theater keeps us together. It's the thing that unifies us and that really, um, could we do more? Sure. 
Uh, are we where we always wanted to be or dreamt of? No. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm thrilled to work with them. And uh, I think I've, I think we all have done a better job in the last four years of, of being able to say how much we really appreciate each other. Um, because I know we've, we've often got lost in the work of running a theater and not doing that. And I think we've gotten a lot better, especially in the last year. Um, definitely. Yeah. Well, no relationship is perfect. And you know, I've had the experience of being in the room with you Mm. guys the room where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having the experience of just seeing when we're all in agreement and when we're all not in agreement. And yeah. I've been in the room where it gets tense. How do the three of you manage to kind of go through that? And, you know, it, it's not really a bad thing that that happens. You know, I mean, Penn and Teller talk about all the time. They have a great relationship because they fight all the time. How do the three of you manage to get through that period where it's just a lot of tension and just trying to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it's like a Ouija board where you're, you know, three people are (laughs) trying to control this one piece and make it, you know, get to where it needs to go. Um, There are some Hills you die on some Hills you don't. I'm a pretty passionate person with, deep convictions and I love a good argument. Um, and I don't mean an argument for argument's sake. I mean, an argument where you really believe in something and you're willing to, to go to bat for it, uh, whether that's an idea or, or something that you feel should or shouldn't happen at the theater. But, um, I think we all respect each other, even though we can like a family. That's why I said brothers and sisters, like a family, we get raw. And I know, you know, and you probably won't get this on podcast too much, but, you know, talking to other theater owners and people who do this, it's pretty common. Uh, You know, this stuff tests you in a lot of ways and, you know, you're going to eventually get raw. Uh, You know, you you don't have the tough skin for it all the time. So, um, and I think we need that with each other because in a lot of ways it's, it's, you know, to take the family, um, the family, uh, analogy. It's like, you have to be the parent for the theater and the theater is the child. Uh, and you've got to put on that great face for the theater, but at some point you need to go lock the door and have that conversation. It's not easy. There are some times where we vehemently disagree with each other there's sometimes where somebody surprises you and agrees with you when you're like thinking they're never going to agree with this. And they're like, no, that's a, that's actually that I think that'll work. It's, I think we're in such a good place. Um, we've had a lot of good tests, so I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I mean, like I said before, I, I wouldn't want to run this place with anybody else. That's not true. I, I there's always room for more and, and that's great. But I mean, with these two, I wouldn't, want to run it without those two you know we mentioned the pandemic a couple of times mm-hmm. and that and i know it's it's needless to say but that was definitely one of those trials that you and rick and marlene had 
where now everything has to be closed, everything has to be shut down, no one can go outside anywhere. How did you three kind of manage to, well, let me back it up and ask it this way. When the pandemic hit and we had to shut down, yeah. what did the three of you do to kind of keep this going? Because we've sadly seen a lot of theaters that have closed yeah. permanently because of the pandemic. So during that time, how did the three of you kind of manage to keep this theater going? What were some of the things that you tried? What were some of the ideas that worked? What didn't work? What were you three going through during that time? Yeah. Great questions. Um, so a couple of things, some were great planning, some were fortunate and some was just downright heartbreaking, um, in terms of the experience of going through that. Uh, the good planning was we've always been very good about having a nest egg for a rainy day. Uh, we've been there, done that before. So where we've needed it and sometimes didn't have it. So we were good about, uh, keeping the theater financially stable and safe that got us through not all of it, but it got us through definitely the first wave of, of the pandemic where literally from one day to the next, you're not, able to produce a single cent this is before you've got zoom classes this is before you've got zoom shows uh this was just literally nobody knows how to do anything right now we've got to figure it out all over again from scratch so we were lucky in that regard the second thing the fortunate thing uh in 2020 all three of our leases were up we had three different spaces all had their own lease uh so in June of 2020, they were up. We were really lucky that that happened because our leases, as most leases do, they go up over time and in terms of what you pay. And it was, our landlords were great with us. And one, they were good to us in terms of working with us. But two, now all of a sudden we had a you know different situation. We couldn't do the same type of lease that we had before and a different landlord probably would have begrudgingly gone into a lease like that and said okay fine we're gonna have to you know lower your rent um, but we'll get you back some way our landlord was really good with us so that that's great and I'm we got really fortunate that we had a new lease um, we were able to use that lease to be able to stabilize the bleeding and also be able to know that we have a future should we make it out of this thing. Um, because the lease that we had before, had it gone up, we couldn't have done it. We wouldn't have made it. And I think that's where a lot of theaters really were were hurt by, you know, and I feel for landlords too. They've got to pay bills too. So, you know, banks want their money every month as well if they're financing a building. So I get it. But ours were really cool with us. So that was great. Um and then the heartbreaking stuff. I mean, we lost cast members that through the pandemic either lost the creative fire. Uh, people moved. People moved on. That was heartbreaking. Um, you know, we downsized a little bit. Wasn't heartbreaking. That was fine. But there was a different air 
that we were breathing and I maybe that's not a good one to say with the pandemic an airborne pandemic but there was a there was a different feel in the air at the theater when we did reopen and it's taken us quite some time to get it back so 2020 was okay figure this thing out oh crap this this may be the end 2021 was all right we've got to reopen we live in a state where you know whether you like it or not things are reopening and as great as our landlord was to us they were like hey you've got to start paying and it meant opening or not one of the things i'm most proud of is that i think i may have mentioned this on the last podcast if i did i apologize cut it out if not keep it in um rick marlene and myself made a commitment that we would come back and not only crew the shows but we would perform the shows if we were the only three that wanted to come back and uh january of 2021 we put out an email saying hey look the three of us are coming back if anybody else wants to you can and it was just amazing that so many cast members came back um which was incredible so 2021 was just like getting things back up and running 2022 was normalizing things and 2023 was like all right let's actually get back to being like a real theater and artists again it finally feels real again now where it didn't feel that way before so one of the i'll I'll say this and i hopefully it doesn't get me in any trouble um in april of 2020 uh roughly about a month after the pandemic started when people were figuring out hey i can go and pull my car up to the supermarket or to wherever i need to get stuff from like a target or whatnot um, and they'll put stuff in my trunk and i talked with i do the buying of all the beer and and wine here at the theater and i was like hey the wine's going to be fine but the beer is going to go bad and that's not only is it a shame I don't want to be the one to have to come here and throw it out. I'm going to be doing that by myself. And there is a lot of beer. We had just made a huge purchase and I was like, Oh no. So, uh, we did this for our cast. We uh, invited them to come pull their car up and everybody got three cases of beer and we have a cast of 40. So (laughs) it's a lot of beer that walked out the door. I mean, tear falling from the eye there, but, uh, uh, the first car rolls up. I put the beer in, they move on two more cars later people are coming up and they want to just get their own beer and i'm like uh i don't know well like an hour later the room is filled with people socially distanced all drinking beer and i'm like i can't stop this even if i wanted to so um (laughs) it was like a really cool break from a pandemic where you were stuck at home and uh it was just really cool to see you don't realize how much you miss these people until you can't see them so it was cool how are you affected by the pandemic i own my own business and uh i quickly had to i i I specialize in corporate training team building and coaching i do a lot of executive coaching i do a lot of communication training uh, everything from sales to presentation skills luckily a lot of good clients transitioned and went virtual some did not uh some businesses didn't make it so i lost clients um it was a tough time it was a tough time but you know like the theater i was able to get through it and uh 
uh, there were pluses and minuses. I mean, I had a lot more time to, to spend time with family. I had a lot more time to really just be good to myself with my time. Uh, one of the cool things is I'm a cyclist. Uh, some of the best rides I've ever done in my life have been during the pandemic when you can ride down a road and there's not a single car. You can go on roads you can't normally go on. <laughs> so I was able to do that. Um, the only problem was I would run out of like fluids because you can't get fluids anywhere when everything's closed. Right. But, um, but yeah, otherwise it was, it was a, that was the only plus of, of that. Um, yeah, it was, it was tough though. And it was, it was tough also not having the artistic outlet. I tried doing a couple of shows here and there online and it just was not my thing. And, uh, the teaching we did until our students told us, Hey, we don't even want to do this anymore. Um, but that was really to keep the theater open. I don't think anybody was truly enjoying it as much as we do being in person and having that community feel. Yeah. I know that we saw like a lot of online shows. We did some online shows and yeah. everyone was going online like crazy cause they had no choice. And I, I did a few festivals where, uh, where we were online and I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, that, and the few online festivals that I did do, you know, I couldn't just sit in my chair. I actually put my camera to the back of the room and stood up and moved around because that's improv for me. There was only so much of the online stuff I could do. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and even just to watch it, it's tough for me to just watch people sitting in chairs and looking at their computer screens. Uh, I don't know. I, I get that there was no choice. That was the only thing we could do. But after a while, for me, it was kind of like, I need to see action again. Yeah. I think panels, podcasts, that works magically. And oh, yeah. I, I, it was great to see a lot of that. I enjoyed that. I agree with you. The, the working off of each other that you can only get in the room together is is the magic of improv and it's really difficult if not impossible to do online and i know that people will challenge that and more power to them it's just my thing mm -hmm. uh, for me i need to be in the room i need to see your eyeballs looking at mine i need to see what's going on behind those eyeballs as we're in that scene together or not um you know that's the other thing i mean we we did some fun exercises uh, in some of our classes to replace the in-person piece, which is you can't look at the other improviser. So you can't look into your camera or the mm -hmm. screen, um, which is fun. And it's, you know, it's a different approach and all of that, but yeah, no, being in person is, is where it's at. Yeah. You and I, and this was recently, you and I shared an experience uh, in a show that I mm -hmm. just loved. We were doing 10 scenes and you and I were the first scene and all we did was just, look at each other and that's all we did and we didn't say anything we didn't even move it was just the two of us just looking at each other yeah and you know had that been us on computers i don't think it would have felt the same because it was just something there's something amazing that happens when you see actors that are just there and they don't have to do or say anything yet at the same time you get everything you need would yeah, we were communicating without communicating. Yeah. And I think we were also playing some chicken. So <laughs> there was. Like, it was like, don't screw it up. Yeah. yeah. Don't screw it up. So because we both realized, at, like, I think within the first 30 seconds, this is the thing. Yeah. This is the thing. And it can only be broken if 
there's something that truly makes this thing break. Yeah. And I remember in my head, I was just saying to myself, stay with him. Just stay with him. Yeah. Same here. So <laughs> it, it was, that was, was, that's what I love about improv. You have these magic moments where you really get into what you're doing. You really get to be honestly in the character, in their world. And, you know, that world's really finite. It ends when the scene's over. And, you know, you really get to honor the character that you create by going all in and investing all in. And when the improvisers on stage are all doing that simultaneously, the collective work that comes out of that is just absolutely fantastic. And that was definitely one of those moments. And those are the moments where you're like, yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned uh, your business, and we didn't get to talk about this last time, but I want to talk to you about your business, Interactive Training Solutions. <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think it's, it's great. It's very interesting because you've taken your skills of improv and you use that as a tool for corporate training and, you know, teaching people in, in sales and team building and stuff like that. And I want to ask you how you started that business and what that experience has been like to teach improv on a corporate level. Well, it's it's probably about 15 to 20% of what I do. Uh, it's a very small part of what I do. The tool I would say that is most used is really role play. But um, two of my largest clients are all executive coaching clients. I use zero improv in, in that regard directly. I mean, yeah, there's always skills from improv that bleed into facilitation or coaching in terms of what I do, but as as far as like actual using improv with with my corporate clients or nonprofit clients, uh, it's probably fifteen to twenty percent of what I do. So and it wasn't always the case. In the beginning it was a lot more, but um what got me into that, two things. One, as we talked about the last time I had a television production career, my producing career really allowed me to work with people in a way to make them better at what they did. So either it was on air talent or working with crews. If I was working with crews, it was always about how do we get better at what we do? How do we have better communication to produce a better product? If it was on air talent, it was always about how do we get the best of you on screen? And that can go through the lens and reach somebody on the other side. So, that was one piece. I was doing improv. I was working a management job. And uh, at the time, and I just, I had finished up my career in production. I needed to figure out what to do. I went and got an MBA. I applied my time in production and my hobby slash improv career and kind of threw that into the mix and said, all right, let's see what comes out of this MBA. And all of that happened because I was doing corporate work uh, production-wise, video production-wise for for making corporate videos that were absolutely um, soul-crushing and boring. <laughs> but everybody around me spoke this language of business that I didn't know, and that kind of excited me. I was like, I want to learn a new language. Let me learn business. And um, you know, having a film degree doesn't really do much for you in the real world unless you're in film and television. And I knew that I was transitioning out. I was like, I better learn a new language. So getting that MBA, I was able to do that transition it. And I built my company out of the MBA program. 
Um, I took a class called Business Plan Development uh, with Dr. Alan Karsrud. That guy changed my life. He was amazing. And uh, we had a choice. We could either take an existing business and rewrite their business plan, or you could create a fictitious business and write a business plan for that. And that's what I chose to do. And I thought, oh, this will just be a fun thing. I'll do it for the class. We had kind of like a Shark Tank style competition within the class. And I was told by many of the judges after winning that, hey, you know, you should do this. You need to do this. And I sat on it for a number of years. And one day I was driving my oldest daughter home from school and she was asking me what I do. She was six at the time. I tried to explain it. Uh, She didn't really get it. And then I explained it a different way and she got it. And I was talking about like following your passions and your dreams. And I'm sitting there thinking I'm driving this child home telling her to do this and I'm not doing it myself. How is that leading by example? Mm. So things changed. And that's when I started the business that, and I haven't stopped since. Um, I love what I do. I wake up every day knowing that I'm helping people. And that to me is everything. That's what I want to do with my life is if I help make other people better at what they do, then job done. Next year, which is hard to believe that it's a couple of days, Mm. but next year, this theater, really the company, just the funny celebrates 25 years that's a big freaking deal. Yeah. And you have been a part of this since the very beginning. You're the only person from the beginning that has stayed and have been with this theater for now going on 25 years. Did you really think back then that we would be having a 25-year anniversary? No. Um that's an easy answer. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, listen, starting this company was not was not done in a it wasn't done in a happy, healthy way. It was done because we had creative differences with the previous company that we were in. And um, and, and we started something kind of just because we had no outlet and it was like, all right, well, let's just see what happens. And we'll try. And, you know, we did it with zero dollars and started from nothing. Never had aspirations for any of this. As a matter of fact, my production career was really taking off at the time. And I was ready to move to L.A., which I eventually did and still stayed in the company, which was crazy. I shouldn't have done that. But um, it was tough. But I never would have thought 25 years. And when I got to 10 years we had a big 10 year anniversary weekend and that felt like the finish line and I was burnt out um, teaching three classes a week uh, deferring all the pay to keep the theater open uh, doing pretty much every show uh, not spending the time that I should have been both on my professional uh, career but also you know, with my family and people that I love, I knew that I was, you know, I I needed a break. And I thought, all right, this is probably going to be it. This theater will last another year or two and I'll move on. I remember speaking to another improviser in New York City saying, yeah, I'm not going back. 
they were like, oh, you'll be back in two months. I'm like, no, I won't. I'm, and I drove past this theater a bunch of times thinking, all right, I'll never do improv again. I'm done. So to think of 25 years, I was like, no way. But now it's just the greatest thing. Uh, I love the thought of 25 years, not because it's a milestone for me. I think it's really a testament to the work that everybody who's ever walked in this place has put into this place. It's seeing the people that are currently here and thriving and growing, seeing the next group that is signing up for that improv one class or that is just about to graduate from improv six and, you know, audition for the, the cast. And you're just like, wow, this thing is has grown so many artists throughout the, its its time and that's really amazing that that's what floors me and that's what I love about it and I you know hey if I'm lucky I get to come back here 25 years from now somebody else will be running it by then um I won't be and I don't know about Rick and Marlene but you know you get to get to come back and hopefully watch somebody else do it better than you did and see this place even bigger and better is there anything you haven't done yet that you're hoping to achieve in the future? With improv? With anything. That's a great question. Um, with improv, no. Um, I know that, that my time, that t- that part of my career is probably come and gone. Um, and I don't say it in a sad way. I, I'm, I'm really proud of the work. Uh, I still love doing it. I feel like I can pick and choose those moments and that's fun. Like it feeds me in a certain way and I enjoy making other people great. That, that definitely fuels the fire, but for me to achieve, yeah, there was probably a window of time for that. That's, that's past. Um, you know, I could tell you all the things that we didn't do that I wish we did, but where's that going to get us? Do people really want to listen to that? Uh, Maybe somebody does. Um, I think from a professional perspective, yeah, I want to do some more things professionally. I definitely want to get more into public speaking, which I've been doing. Um, I've been traveling a lot more since the pandemic ended. That was one of the things I really wanted to explore in my career that I had done before, didn't do enough of and wanted to do more of it. So, and just see what I can do with that. Um, because if it helps people, that's great. And more importantly, I just, you know, after being locked in, you really want to get out and it's a great way to, to meet people and, and other professionals who do either do what I do. I love meeting other speakers or you get to meet people that you help and you get to make those relationships and you affect people's lives in a positive way. That's fantastic. So public speaking for sure. And then artistically, I don't know that that's been the hard one. I think at some point I will get back into film and television, not in a professional way though. I'll do it for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that will be. It'll be when my heart tells me it's a time, but I know that I know that it will probably happen. Um, there's definitely, it's like one little ember left and it's, it's for that. It's kind of like um, the seed that gets left over in the Lorax that, the onceler, um, you know, sends down in the pail and says, here's the one seed. I, I love the Lorax. It's one of my favorite Great stories. reference, by the way. 
yeah. <laughs> that and the giving tree. I, I'm a, can you tell that I have kids? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, David. Uh oh. You know what's coming now. Yeah, because, I know. Now I can prepare for it. Yeah, because right? <laughs> I asked didn't. you this the first time, and mm-hmm. this is always the last question, but now I'm going to adjust it since you're returning. So what's another piece of advice that has served you well that you'd want everyone else to hear? You know, I wanted to come in loaded on this one, and then I stopped myself and because I, I knew that having listened to almost every one of these podcasts – nobody's had one ready to go and if they have they've done a really good job selling it like they didn't um which i don't think anybody has there's really great quotes that i love but i think the one that i'm thinking of right now is um a a really great piece of advice i was how old was i was 1992 so i would have been 19 years old and i had just moved to new york city I was starting NYU and I was underage. I went to a bar, which will go nameless because I don't want anybody getting in trouble. I was waiting to meet some Miami friends that I barely knew. We just met at a party and everybody knew that they were moving to New York. Um, And while I was waiting there, they were running late. Go figure. I was waiting in this bar. This guy is sitting at this bar and it's one of these bars. It's just like a dive and it's a New York dive and this guy's a New York guy it's like you know something's gonna happen you just don't know what's gonna happen and you're kind of afraid I mean I'm a 19 year old kid in a bar and I think everybody you know kind of had a feeling that I I was a 19 year old kid (laughs) and the guy turns to me we hadn't said a word to each other and he says hmm you want to know something and I'm like what and he says what'd you think of yourself five years ago kid and I said, uh, oh, God, I thought I was I thought I was an idiot. And he's like, yeah. So five years from now, what are you going to think of yourself? And I was like, oh. And it really, it, it woke me up to think about, all right, what do I want to think of myself in five years? And it kind of changed a couple of things for me. So I think that's a fun piece of advice. Like, how do you want to grow? Um, how do you want to live in the present moment? You know, nobody's perfect. We do our best. But how do you want to honor the present and what you're doing? So, I don't know. I think that works for me. I think that works for me, too. That's kind of where I'm at right now, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that this is uh, going to be our last one together. So, you I never just know. Oh, you yeah, never know. Fine. Uh, yeah. Okay. Never but say never. I won't say never. But um, I will say, LD, I really think that you're doing something amazing here with this. I think that a lot of people can listen to these and learn a lot, but also you, my friend have done something really special with your gifts in producing and hosting this podcast. So thank you for doing it. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. It's, you know, it's one of those things where the more I thought about it, the more I obsessed over it, I just figured, why not try it? I'd rather try it than not try it and wonder what if. That's the state of mind that I've been in lately. And I think it's a great state to be. Well, I love you. And I love that, that people get to get to have you in their lives. Thank you, my friend. Love yeah. you too. So, how do you want to think of yourself five years from now? Very good advice, I think. When you look back five years from now, 
Do you want to be proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished? It's all up to you, so take the opportunity while you still can. Thank you very much, David Christopher, for coming back a second time on Improv and Magic. You will always be my friend for life. And for all of you listening, visit InteractiveTrainingSolutions.com to learn more about David's business and find out how you can take your communication and leadership skills beyond. And as always, visit JustTheFunny.com to learn more about Miami's home for improv and sketch comedy. Also, if you're in the Miami area this week, I invite you to attend the 2024 Miami Improv Festival at Just The Funny. The festival runs this week in January from Thursday the 11th through Sunday the 14th and will feature amazing improv acts from across the country. Just to let you know, I'll also be there and I'll be performing two shows at the festival this year. On Friday at 7 p.m., I'll be doing my solo show together by myself in the Spotlight Bar and on Sunday at 9 p.m. in the main stage, I'll be performing my brand new show, David Magnifico, the world's stupidest magic show. If you're around, come on by. I'd be very happy to say hi to you. You can find a full show schedule, tickets, and workshop information at the festival's website, justthefunny.com slash Miami Improv Festival. That's Miami-Improv-Festival. Hope to see you there, my friends, and hope to see you again next time here on Improv and Magic. Have a good one, everybody.